1: Hi, this is Graham Bonnet and you're listening to Talking Metal.
2: Hey guys, welcome to the episode. This is Mark Striegel, and you are listening to Talking Metal. Wow, we have a great guest today. I am so excited to welcome Graham Bonnet to the podcast, a first-time guest. He had agreed to a 20-minute interview, ended up giving me almost 40 minutes, and I know there's going to be listeners out there who are going to say, why didn't you ask him about this or about that? And guys, it's simply because I had to... Let the poor guy go. I had him on the line for almost 40 minutes. And uh, yeah, yeah. So I I could have spoke with this guy for another hour. and, And he really tells some great stories. And wow, what an honor to have the one and only Graham Bonnet of legendary bands. Alcatraz, Michael Shanker Group, Rainbow, Impelitary, so much more, so many more. I mean, going way back to the early, I'm sorry, late 60s when he was working with Barry Gibb and Robert Stigwood, the the very famous manager who managed Eric Clapton and the Bee Gees and uh, Graham Bonnet and his cousin in the band The Marbles. So uh, we we talked to Graham about a lot of this stuff and uh, just a longtime fan of this guy and so great to talk to him. And I'm glad he's still out there rocking. And he's going to tell us about what he's up to nowadays, which sounds like some really exciting stuff. I hope he gets out here to the East Coast, to New Jersey, or New York City, so I can check him out live. Um, It would just be great to see him play live once again. So without further ado, let's get into some classic Graham Bonnet right now. This is him with Richie Blackmore and Rainbow, and then we'll come back and chat a little more. (laughs) Classic stuff. Graham Bonnet and Rainbow from 1979. That song, "Since You've Been Gone," comes off the "Down to Earth" record, the one and only record that Graham did with Rainbow. It's the you know era after Dio and before Jolyn and Turner. Graham Bonnet with Rainbow. Excellent stuff, and that's a great record if you don't know it, a great Rainbow record, uh, a record that really in a lot of ways brought Rainbow to to FM radio, kind of broke them through to the the mainstream. And as much as we love the Dio era stuff, it, it's important to remember that back in those days, that, that Dio era stuff wasn't big, big on radio in the States at least. It wasn't a big FM smash hit record or you know well there was many rec- there was numerous records with Dio but it didn't break through like Down to Earth did the record with Graham Bonnet doesn't mean that it's better that it was more commercial but I'm just saying the 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 Down to Earth record was absolutely more of a success when it came to radio than any of this stuff uh, Rainbow had done with Dio and uh, again just great stuff if you don't know that record definitely pick it up Down to Earth by rainbow featuring graham bonnet let's get into uh the interview with graham right now this is tonight i fly by Impelliteri from the stand in line record this goes back a number of years number of decades (laughs) and uh it was a band that graham was in i guess twice uh, throughout his career so uh, we don't really talk about impelitary, and I know there's going to be some complaints about that. I had questions, but again, the interview just was going on too long. I needed to wrap it up and wanted to uh, respect Graham's time. So we, we don't actually talk about impelitary. So having said that, we will play a little Impellitary going into the interview. Again, this is Tonight I Fly featuring Graham Bonnet on vocals. Impelitary. Hey, this is Mark Striegel of Talking Metal, and joining us on the line, we have the one and only Graham Bonnet. Graham, how are you tonight?
1: I am doing okay, thanks. How are you, Mark?
2: Uh, I am good, I am good, and I'm excited to talk to you about your new project, Bonnet. So let's, yeah. uh, let's talk about this. Who is in the band with you, and what can we expect from you guys?
1: Uh, well, now the band has slightly changed the name. but it still has the name Bonnet in it, but it's called the Graham Bonnet Band because because I thought the name Bonnet just sounded like a hat. And uh, we should have uh, a couple of other words that kind of made it more, ex- you know, self-explanatory. So the Graham Bonnet Band is what it's called now. Oh, okay. Um, so it's, it's not that much difference, but it is a little. And um, we have Bethany Heavenstone, she's playing bass. Uh, and right. also Conrad Pesonado is playing guitar. And I play guitar as well. This is a surprise for some people, but uh, I'm playing guitar also. And at the moment, we have what we're having to do because we don't have a keyboard player is we've been using on the road, we've been using pre recorded keyboard tracks. Right. And also, after our last tour, unfortunately, the drummer we were working with um, didn't quite work out. So at this very moment, as we speak, we are uh, auditioning drummers here in Los Angeles. And so there's going to be a new name. Coming to the band, but right right now it's it's me, Conrad, and Bethany are the three mainstay guys. We're the kind of like uh, we're not going to uh, have any arguments on the road. We, you know, we get on really well together. But sometimes you have to not only audition for the um, you know the talent of the person, but also for their personality because it doesn't always gel. You know, it's not like the old days where. Um, People rehearsed in the same street and in the same garage. It's, um, you know, what it's like. It's not like the Beatles used to be, if you know what right. I'm saying. Sure. It's um, everything is done by mail, even recordings. But uh, we're looking for guys, uh, guys, guys right now to to uh, play drums for us. And I think we may have the guy, but I'm not sure yet. So I, I won't say any names at the moment. You know.
2: Is he a, is he a name that we might recognize? No,
1: I don't, I don't think so. Right. But okay. uh, we are speaking to people who have played with.
2: Probably names uh, you would recognize. Sure. Now, as, as far, far as the-, the music you guys will be doing, you will be covering some of your classic songs from your yeah. your great history, but you'll also be doing new music that we that we haven't heard yet.
1: Yeah. Um, what's What's happening is we're we were going we were going to start this whole whole thing off being totally different if you will uh by being an acoustic trio which we tried and some of the songs i've been writing the new songs weren't i ex- didn't really fit to be an acoustic kind of thing because i i tend to make the songs very kind of like uh, raucous and loud, or raucous, as Americans would say, um, even in the softer parts. So we thought, well, we need a drummer, really. So now we are so-called uh, like an electric um, band, if you will. Uh, but it's, um, what we're gonna be doing, in fact, when we went on, went on tour in Europe and in England um, a few month, a couple of months ago, uh, we're out for um, about a month, and we've been playing all the stuff that everybody knows. Uh, you know, The Rainbow, Michael Shanker, um, Alcatraz stuff, but then incorporating the new songs, which are still rock, but some of them are slightly different, you know, um, probably a little bit more adventurous, if you will, or more poppy or uh, more jazzy, um, but just not in the same genre as uh, I've been uh, playing over the past few years, you know, it's, it's going to be rock still, but maybe taking a left turn here and there to do something slightly different. Maybe something poppy, maybe something jazzy, maybe something reggae, you know, who, whatever comes along. Uh, as I used to do when I was a kid, you know, as, as um, like the Beatles did. It was, it was a bit of everything. And um, it, unfortunately, I became known as a hard rock singer, which is something I never ever thought I would ever be labeled as because I started off doing R&B and pop when I was in, in my 20s, you know, recording-wise anyway. So this will be a little bit of um, exper- an experimental band, but it'll still be what people want to hear, I think. I'm still singing, and it's still the same kind of lyrics, and t- I'm still, t- you know, telling stories within the songs and doing all the rest of it. So it's still me. Right. <laughs> but just uh, just... You know, once in a while, I go. Oh, let's do a nice poppy thing here. Like, since you been gone, was a was a pop song. You know, sure, sure. And, and, and why? Yeah,
2: I want to. I want to go back and talk about your history even before yeah. you were in Rainbow. But um, you you said you said that unfortunately you've been uh labeled a, a hard rock singer. Is that something yeah. you find that like that you've been typecasted? Maybe. Yes. It,
1: Oh yeah, because uh, I I don't think any singer wants to be labelled as such or a guitar player. Maybe some guitar players, maybe, but um, you know, it's music is music to me, and I think to a lot of musicians it is very restricting when you're given suddenly given a label, you know. And um, this is something I never started out to be or never professed to be a, a heavy metal singer. I never knew what what. Uh, um, I was never interested in Led Zeppelin and Deep Purple back in the day. It was always the Beatles or the Stones or the Kinks or the Who. That was more my thing, and um, I never really knew very much about so-called hard rock or heavy metal at all. And uh, when I got the audition for Rainbow, for instance, I thought, "Well, I don't fit this band anyway. I don't, I don't belong. I've got short hair, and I don't sing like the guy who sang before me, Ronnie Dio. I'm nothing like that, you know." But um, it, it, now it's it's nice to have the freedom after you know to be able to do something. I think after thirty years, I've kind of 35, 40 years, whatever it may be, I've been, you know, singing, recording. I think it's time that I think people know what I can do and what I can't do or whatever. And it's nice to probably take a break and do something that I, I always love to do. And that's all different kinds of music. But the heavy rock thing will still be there. I, cool. I, can't, I can't throw that aside because I love that so much, you know.
2: Now, when you go back, when, you know, you came on our radar, or at least my radar, when when you were joining up, with Rainbow in 1979 yeah. for the Down to Earth record, but before that, you had quite a musical career and history already. Uh, I was I was really fascinated to learn that you had a, a, a working relationship with with Barry Gibb, a songwriter I really admire. And I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about the the musical career that you had um, mm-hmm. from really when you were just a kid up yeah. through Rainbow. What what were you doing uh, prior to Rainbow?
1: Oh, back then, this would be like 1968, I, um, I was uh, living in London, and uh, my cousin and I uh, had traveled down to London to play with our band, and um, we played at a place called the Revolution Club in the city, and um, for some weird reason, the... Old manager of the Bee Gees was in the audience, and he knew my cousin Trevor Trevor Gordon. Uh, He knew him from Australia. My cousin lived in Australia and, in fact, played with the Bee Gees. He played guitar with the Bee Gees when he was about um, 14 or 15, when they made records together out there. And this guy just happened to be in the audience and came up to us. It's all – I'll put it in a nutshell if I can. And he came up to Trevor and said, well, I'm sure Barry and the the brothers would like to see you, Trevor. Um, Here's his number. Call him up. And, um, go over there to see him. he lives in in the West End, and you know go and meet up. so my cousin went over to um Barry's place, and uh Robin and Morris were there, and Robert Stigwood, the manager and um he spoke to um them about my band, you know our band, as we were playing in London, trying to play throughout you know you know do it, get our career on the road, so to speak, and they said, well, we're not looking for a band now, but we're looking for a solo singer, Trevor, will you you know, we'll produce your records. We'll do like an Elvis with you or a Cliff Richard at the time. You know, um, solo singing because you have that kind of voice. And so they were ready to produce Trevor's records. And he said to them, "Well, I'm in a band at the moment with my cousin Graham, and I, I don't know what to say because you know I'm I want to be loyal to the band and to so my cousin and keep on working together." And I said, "We're well, not looking for a band, but what does your cousin do?" He says well, "He plays guitar and he sings with the band." He said, "Well, bring him over." And so I went over to meet um, the Gibb brothers and we sat around singing Stevie Wonder songs and Beach Boys stuff and all that kind of thing, big harmonies and having a a great time. And next thing I knew was uh, Robert Stigwood came into the room and said, uh, uh, Barry, speaking to Barry Gibb, uh, how about recording these boys? I think we should start something, write something tonight and we'll start recording tomorrow. Wow. You know, it was like that, one of those, it was like, you know, success overnight or not. But um, it was, um, that's how that began. And through my because of my cousin being part of the Australian scene back when he was a kid with them, I got the opportunity to meet the brothers and start a, a you know, a real musical career,
2: so to speak. Now, Robert Stigwood, who you mentioned, also had connections and I believe it even managed... Eric Clapton and Cream yeah. for a while. Had yes. you uh, Did you ever run into those guys or have yeah. any dealings with them back in the day? Yeah. Well,
1: they, they were – he had um, – there's a band called The Foundations. I uh, don't know, if you know who they are, do you? I mean, uh,
2: I've heard – I I know they had at least one. Fill me up, me yeah, up. Yeah, right right, right, right. Yeah, yeah definitely.
1: Yeah. yeah, they had – and maybe now that I found you, I can let you go. He had that band and and also Cream. And at the time, um, once in a while, Rory Gallagher would pop into the office, I remember. Wow. Um, but he never became part of the Stigwood thing. But Cream, um, they were there definitely, and the Foundations, my cousin and I, and the Bee Gees. And that that was the basic mainstay of that office was uh, th- those bands. And um, Eric Clapton, in fact, came to my 21st birthday party. Really? And uh. Uh, it was kind of funny. Um, you know I, I know, I know who he was and everything. It was very sort of embarrassing a bit because he didn't know me, but he came along to my party anyway because Robert Stigwood invited him along to introduce my cousin and I to uh, the guys. And I used to see Jack Bruce going in and out of the office all the time, but I didn't know Eric. I saw uh, Jack one day and he said, I love your voice, man. You're fucking great." you know, it's one of those deals, you know, and uh, just passing, you know, passing ships in the night, so to speak. And um, it was one of those things where I didn't really know Eric at all. And, uh, but Jack, I saw once in a while and Ginger, I never saw until much later when they, um, in fact, went the final concert, the Farewell Cream concert. I was there, and Rory Gallagher actually opened up for them in, at the Albert Hall in London. And I actually met Ginger that night, and it was it was quite an experience to see this band sort of... It was their very last gig ever, you know, and it was uh, kind of a cool thing. But that's kind of all I really had to do with Cream, was just like a very, very casual acquaintance sort of thing. I never really knew them very well. Right. But... Um, the Bee Gees, I knew very well. They became very close friends.
2: Interesting, and so that that was with with your cousin, and that that group was called the, the Marbles. And then well, you went on in the seventies to release a, a, a couple solo records. And was it was it those solo records that caught the attention of the the Rainbow guys?
1: Yeah, yeah, it was. I had uh, my first album came out and. Um, it was, somebody gave, um, I think somebody from the office, our office, when I was with a different management, I was uh, managed by um, a company called Quarry Productions. And they managed Rory Gallagher, uh, Whitesnake, me, and a band called Penetration, a punk band. And um, Mickey Moody from Whitesnake, the guitar player, just happened to be working with me and recording my first solo album as such. And this is after the marbles, you know. and. Um, Uh, they got hold of a copy of the album and Richie Blackmore wanted to know where I was and what I was doing and Mickey knew me and he'd been working with Roger Glover and uh, Roger Glover got in touch with me because Mickey gave him my number, blah, blah, blah and so I went over to um, Switzerland to audition for the band but um, I wasn't looking to be in a band at all so this was kind of a surprise and I didn't know who Rainbow was. I had no idea but uh, it was a... Quite a quite a change in my life, I can tell you.
2: Now it's it's uh, it's interesting because you do this this record with Rainbow, Down to Earth, that really, at least in America, kind of breaks the band to to FM radio and mm. and really brings a lot lot of new ears to the band Rainbow. Mm. And then you're you're gone rather quickly from yes. the band. <laughs> what what happened? Why why was it? Why was I mean, I would oh. think your voice selling these songs and, and you guys making such a great record together, there would have been at least a few more records to come. But that oh. never happened.
1: No, no. We, we, I was with them for a long time. We played – I played with them for almost a year live. Uh, we did concerts all over the world, you so know, Japan, the, okay. all over the states, coast to coast, England, um, as I said, Japan, etc. cetera. So it was of, we did a very long tour. Um, but after the tour was over, when we finally played, um, the, uh, Monsters of Rock in Castle Donnington, uh, that's when I left the band and so did Cozy Powell. So I was with the man for just over a year, I, I think, uh, but only made one album with them. And when Cozy left, I left, <laughs> um, To do what? I didn't know, but I thought, you know, well, the fun's gone. One of my best friends has left the band. And uh, also Don Ayer was speaking of leaving the band also. He said, well, now Cozy's gone, we've got to start over. And we weren't writing any songs. Nothing was going to make another album. And uh, nothing was coming out of uh, anyone's imagination. or No music was being produced at all when we were rehearsing for the next album. And so I went home back to Los Angeles and... uh, Don, in fact, didn't leave the band. He stayed behind, and they got a new singer in. And uh, that's kind of what happened with uh, Jolene Turner. So Jolene Turner came in, and I left. They asked me to come back to sing with him. And he said, and I was asked if I I would like to sing with another lead singer, you know, to have two lead singers. I thought, well, no, that's not going to work. I didn't really want to do that. You know, I wanted to be the lead singer. That was it, and that's how big my head was. Right. And then after that, and after that, well, I thought, well, I've got some kind of a career going here. People know who I am, whatever. I use my name for um, for my own band, you know, to have my own band come together, which will probably be like a, a Rainbow Clone. And that's kind of what I did. I put some, some guys together in my garage in, in Calabasas, and um, that's what happened. That's how I uh, came to be out there with Alcatraz, my own band.
2: Right, and before Alcatraz, actually, you did a, a 1981 solo record lineup, which also featured Cozy Powell and yeah. and also the late John Lord, right? Yeah, and yeah, yeah.
1: Well, there was there was, um, there was a single taken off from that called "Night Games," which uh, did really well in uh, in England and Europe, but it was never released here for some reason. And I don't think the album was even released here back then.
2: Yeah, uh, I, I looked for it actually earlier today on, on Spotify, and I did not see it there. So. No,
1: it was basically a European British thing. You know, it was released in Australia, everywhere but here, which is uh, kind of goes back to the beginning of my career musically. You know, when in 1968, when we did, when my cousin and I put our first record out, it was never released here either. But it did really well in the rest of the world, everywhere but here. So that's kind of um, what happened. Yes, Cozy Power played on it, John Lord. Um, or oh, a bunch of Mickey Moody, in fact, from White Snake. So it, it was a good album, I think. I, I can listen to it now and not cringe, you know, whereas, you know, sometimes you listen to stuff and then, oh my God, why did I do that? But it was a good album.
2: Cool. Now, was Cozy the one who brought you into uh, MSG and, yeah. and got you involved in playing with Michael?
1: Yeah. I, I was at, um, I went to the country club one night to see Cozy play. He invited me down to say, oh, you've got to come and see this. German guitar player guy I'm working with now, Michael Schenker. And um, so I went down there and it was a crowded the place. was packed, absolutely packed. And after they did their set, we were watching the other band uh, upstairs somewhere and I was watching, Cozy came up to me and said, what do you think of the band? I said, oh, I think it's great. I said, it's damn fantastic. And he said, uh, would you like to be in this band? I said, yeah, it'd be nice, wouldn't it? But, you know, just taking a bit like a casual comment, you know, I thought, oh, okay, yeah, it'd be nice. So well, how about how about actually joining the band like tomorrow? And I said, what do you mean you you have a singer? I said. Well, he said, well, he's going. He's going. We're getting rid of him. I said, well, why? I said, he's great. No, he said, well, we want to change the band a little bit, you know, so blah, 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 blah. That went on and uh, I went home and a couple of days later I I got a demo tape of songs they wanted me to write words and melodies to. And I was in the band just like that. It was really quick and next thing I knew I was over in England rehearsing with them in uh, London and writing the songs like a, you know, a man on fire because they had a certain amount of time to get this stuff done. And I'd never really written a whole song before by myself, lyrics and melodies. And uh, it was quite a challenge. You know, I always had someone's help. Like Rainbow, I, you know, Roger Glover helped me, you know. So um, it was quite a learning experience. And I suddenly found out, well, I can write songs. This, is, this, this isn't bad, you know, what I've written. It sounds pretty good. And, um, yeah, it was Cozy's fault. Damn him. No, no. it was it was a good experience. That was a a fantastic time. It just the band we were going through some terrible boozing episodes, which was not really good for any of us. You know, it was lots of time off and sitting around drinking whatever, and not really being very productive. But the album itself, I think, turned out very very well.
2: Yeah, absolutely, and it's definitely, I think, a, a fan favorite from the, the MSG catalog for sure. Now, did you remain friends with Cozy right up until uh, he died?
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, I saw him. We um, we played on a, a couple of albums together, which was a, a studio band album called Field, and it was all sort of covers, like top 40 songs that right. – um, it was just a project thing, you know? And uh, different people played on these albums, all different guitar players, et cetera, et cetera. But Cozy was usually the mainstay drummer. And uh, so I did, let's see, two, I think two albums with him playing drums. So we, we kept in touch and call all the time, you know? And um, whenever he played over here with whoever he was with at the time, Whitesnake or whoever, uh, we'd get together, you know? And then, um, of course, uh, we know what happened. And yeah. it was... It was a disaster
2: (laughs) tragic. Yeah. It
1: was so tragic.
2: Yeah. So as far as Alcatraz goes, uh, you know, this was a band that, that for me really brought to, to my attention, uh, Numerous great guitar players, and we'll we'll start with the first guy who you basically introduced the world to uh, with Alcatraz, Engve Malmsteen. H- how did you um, recruit Engve in- into the band, and uh, where did you hear about him?
1: Uh, well, we, uh, we were looking for – we're trying to put a band together, but it was kind of um, – well, of well-known well people or kind of well-known people to get some kind of interest from the press and whatever. And we couldn't find anybody. We went through a lot of guitar players who were kind of well-known, um, and uh, they didn't fit. We had a keyboard player and a bass player from a band called New England that had a hit out here uh, back in the oh, the – Ages, sometime and so we found these two guys they were perfect because they had a sort of a name and so that created a bit of interest then we had jan Uvino, who was playing with alice cooper coming to the band playing drums so that was another guy who had a you know a history in the music business and then we couldn't find the right guy who would be sort of like richie blackmore kind of a player and um we looked everywhere, we auditioned. I don't know how many guitar players, I, I can't tell you. But um, one day our bass player was in a store and this guy was working there, said, oh, I know is the guy for you. I, what's Graham looking for? Well, when he's somebody who plays like Richie, he said, this guy is Richie's biggest fan. And along comes Invey. Looking like Richie Blackmore, kind of thing, with the black gear on, you know, the spandex, whatever, and uh, in you know, in the summertime, it's very strange, but it worked. Yeah. And he came and he played, he played a couple of songs with us, and he was absolutely perfect. We were just blown away by this kid and how well he could play. He was dynamic, and uh, it, it was just fantastic. That was it. That was the final clincher. That was it. That was the band, and it, um, I was it, very pleased about it.
2: Yeah, I mean, it, such a such a great band, even though it was yes. very short lived. You know, and and as a fan, uh, a teenager back in those those days, for me, I, I just was I loved the the No Parole from Rock and Roll record, but I really really loved just one of my favorite records uh, as a kid was the the Live Sentence record, the live awesome. record, because it just always had a little more rawness to it than yeah. the than the studio record. And I'm wondering just how you look back on that live record.
1: Yeah, I, I agree with you actually, because um, to me, it was a little bit, um, it was too, uh, let's see, polite. I think the, uh, the studio album it was too, too nice. It was too nicely put together. It needed that, that edgy stuff like you're talking, as you're talking about, you know, and I think the, the live thing, I think somebody else actually mixed it. I can't remember if it was a different guy. I God It's hard to think back to that time, but um, I, I think somebody else engineered, mixed it. And it sounds pretty cool. I think you know I'm pretty proud of that also. Um, and I agree with you. I think it has. It's got more of a rock and roll edge, and all the mistakes and all. You know, the blood gushing out of my throat and whatever. It's all there. You know, it's not. It's not nice. You know, because when you're doing vocals or playing things, you can stop and start again, and everything's nice and clean, and your voice is clean. The guitar player's playing nicely. Everything's fitting just perfectly. But sometimes that little raw edge gives gives it that rock feel
2: you know i love that yeah yeah me too and and did you i mean there used to be stories in the press that you guys had issues with with engve's uh, ego uh, in retrospect was that a, a big problem for you
1: well it, it was at times you know and again it was a lot, to, a lot to do with a lot of too much damn drinking i think you know arguments would start and People get nasty towards each other on stage, and anybody uh, tried to kill me one night. And oh my but, God! Yeah, but it, it came to a you know sort of blows almost, you know, because um, I, I made a I tripped over his guitar cord in the middle of um, his solo, and I didn't mean I didn't know I'd done this. I was walking off stage and going back to the to the bus, and he came rushing off stage and you know laid into me. You know, he was really really angry. I said, "What the hell's going on? What's wrong?" I said, well, you know, he thought I did it on purpose. Of course I didn't. God, why why would I want to ruin the show? Anyway, after that, he went because he was very violent toward me. And uh, it wasn't good. And there would be arguments before that, like every night with Ingway, because he had no stage etiquette was one thing. He, He overplayed constantly throughout the song. He wanted to show how fabulous he was with his licks and all that. But you know, you got to know when to lay back and when it's somebody else's turn, when it's my turn to sing part of the song. Now it's your turn. Now you can do your bit, you know. But he, he didn't get it. He just wanted to show off and he could see everybody looking at him. And he would stand in front of me sometimes and, you know, just kind of blow me away like I wasn't there, you know. So that wasn't good, you know. And um, he didn't get it. So we just had to say, well, look man, you you'll have a career by yourself, you know, don't don't worry about it. You're going to have a great career and of course he did. Yeah. And um that was the end of that.
2: <laughs> All right. And then uh you guys brought Forth at least to the the hard rock community, uh, Steve Vai, who again had 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 a few solo records and and played with Frank Zappa. But this is before he was in David Lee Roth, before he was in Whitesnake, before anybody really knew who he was, uh, yeah. you bring forth Steve Vai. Um, where did you come into contact with Steve and how did he fall into the Alcatraz fold?
1: Oh, he he was um, actually, um, I think he was a friend of Jan Uvina's um, because he knew um, Frank Zappa or something. Uh, they, it's, that's, it's hard to think, actually, how that actually happened. It was a friend of one of the guys in the band. I think it was Jan, our drummer. And uh, he brought him along. And Steve, he was like me when I joined Rainbow. He just said, I don't think I fit in this band. He said, I don't play like that. I don't play like Richie Blackmore. I don't play like Yngwie Malmsteen. And um, we rehearsed some of the songs that we did with the uh, you know original Alcatraz. And I said... No, you don't play like them. I said you play like Steve Vai, and it's damn good, you know, because he had a different approach. You know, he's very, very different. He has—he's more avant-garde, and he just had s- just super ideas for songs. Later, when we started to record together, you know, and he was a—I di- a, say a different player, but man, I think he fit really well. I never forget the first gig. He was so nervous about going on stage. He had his manager there calming him down, wow. and it was in uh, it was in Puerto Rico, I think it was. And uh, we played, and it was a huge audience. It was a great big, you know, auditorium, and he was like shitting his pants. And he said, "What am I going to do?" I said, "See what the hell's up with you." And as soon as we got out there and he played in front of this audience, that they were chanting. Steve Vai is the new God, or whatever it was, you know, we, you know. It was fantastic. He realized what a great player he was and how he fits so perfectly into this band. Because, you know, after that time, uh, when he did play with us, we had, we had the new album recorded anyway, and so the new album was out there, and people could hear how the band had slightly changed, you know. So it was cool for him, and he was just blown away how people you know, kind of worshipped him from the, the very get-go.
2: Right on, right on. When yeah. you look back at all your solo records, the, the records you did, you know, outside of of band situations, there's been a, a lot of great solo records that you've put out. Yeah. Which which ones stand out as your favorites?
1: Well, I think um, maybe the, the – I like um, the first one, the very first one I did, because uh, that kind of got me the job in Rainbow. The self-titled I, Richie, one. Yeah, Richie had a copy of that, and he liked the song um, Will You Still Love Me Tomorrow on there. And uh, which we did live much later uh, sometimes mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, and I think uh, that one and I, actually I like them all there's about like three solo albums I did I like them all for different reasons I don't like the later ones that came uh, there was one uh, thing called Here Comes the Night I thought it was bloody awful I hated. Oh, okay. it I hate it with a passion because it was so lackluster and I didn't want to do it we had fake drums fake this and uh, the producer said we've well, got to do some covers, and it was like, Oh no! And I, I just didn't want to do it. I that is my most unfavorite album of all. Uh, okay. but, the, but the other ones, um, No Bad Habits, uh, self title one, um, and whatever the other one was called, I don't know. Um, but it, um, I like them very much because of um, the musical content, everything was a little bit different, it wasn't all one sort of genre again, but I'm proud of them.
2: Yeah, you've had, again, such a great career. And and we've been talking already 30 minutes, so I won't keep you much longer. But I, I did quickly want to mention uh, Blackthorn that you did, uh, yeah. the Afterlife record. I, I really enjoyed that record oh, yeah. and was wondering how you viewed that record. Well, that was hard work, too. <laughs> was it?
1: Yeah, that was um, – I had uh, eight months away from home uh, playing on the road with Blackthorn and also recording that album. It was the longest I've ever been on tour, so to speak, it was a long, long time. The kids didn't know me when I got back home, um, and it was very, very stressful. And um, I had a bit of a problem uh, with—I'm um, sure he knows that—with uh, Bob Kulik at the time. He was producing it, our guitar player, right. and he wanted me to sing like the guy from AC/DC. And I said, "Look, look—if you want the guy from AC/DC, get the guy from ACDC. this This—I'm Graham. I don't sing like him. You know, I don't go. I don't sing like that. Right. You know." This, He says, well, yeah, but it's, you know, kids like that, that more sort of edgy thing. I said, look, why am I in this damn band? And so it was um, a little bit of a fight to get to the end of the recording sessions because he wanted me to sing like somebody else. And I, I just didn't get it. And as soon as the album was over, it was a sigh of relief. And I just I just left. And that was it. That was the end of that. And I didn't have to tour with them anymore. Thank God. You know, it just didn't go down too well. There were a couple of good tracks on there. Um, but he was always looking for the more kind of straight ahead you know straight ahead kind of um rock and roll lyrics like you know uh, sex and drugs and rock and roll kind of thing. and th- those aren't the kind of lyrics I write. I usually write something that's a little bit a little more in depth and tells a story or has some kind of meaning to me, you know, an experience or something, uh, but not you know sex and drugs and rock and roll. I just you know like kiss songs, you know what I mean. They're just very straightforward silly rock songs and that is not where I come from I'm not saying there's anything wrong with you know silly rock songs of course they're great but that's not the way I write I, I can't do it you know so that came to an end very quickly I mean but some of the uh, live gigs were pretty good actually but um I just couldn't hang around with people I didn't really gel with you know
2: I got you I got you definitely and and just to kind of wrap things up here the one thing that as a kid always stuck out about you besides your unique and and brilliant voice was, was you had a, always a unique look, especially in that hard rock kind of eighties scene. You, you weren't out there with the big poofed out hair and and (laughs) spandex. You, you know, sometimes came out in a suit and you had the, 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 the shorter hair and the the cool sunglasses. Did you ever feel tempted to kind of poof your hair out and, and, and jump into the, the, the spandex uh, and, and, God, why why didn't you ever do that? (laughs) Pardon? Like, why didn't you ever do that? Or were you pressured by record companies to do that? I would imagine you probably were.
1: It, no, you know, not really, because when I started to, you know, wear the sort of nineteen fifties gear, I was living in London, and that was very cool and hip to do that back then, because the punk era was happening, and all the punk guys had got it kind of short, spiky hair or bald heads, shaved heads, whatever. Back in the seventies, in the whatever, it was. yeah, seventy. And um, I had this thing about I love doo wop music. I love, I love like the Platters, and I love Little Richard. You know, Buddy Holly. Uh, All those guys. That's what I kind of grew up on. And I love that era and that look. And that was my thing. And now it still is. It still is my thing. I I love the 1950s. I love that music, you know. And um, so that was me. And if uh, you didn't like me, then don't take me, you know. So that was it. And uh, they didn't try to change me. The rest of the band uh, when I was in Rainbow, they didn't try to change because they thought it was cool. You know, I might look like an accountant one day, but sometimes it didn't, it didn't matter if I looked like an accountant with a suit on. It was the voice that came out that was rock and roll, not the suit. But, you know, that's the way people, you know, Chuck Berry, et cetera, et cetera. They all wear suits on stage, silk suits and all that kind of thing. And I, I like that look and I still do. I still think it looks pretty classy, you know? And the other, that hair and stuff, you know, guys wearing women's clothing, uh, to me, it wasn't a turn on. And the lipstick and the blah, 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 and the silly hair. And now those guys look back at that and go, what was I thinking? Now I can look back at my old photos and go, I still look the damn same. Yeah. I, I, what was I thinking? I'm still, I'm still thinking the same way. And yeah. uh, a lot of people now have short hair. They don't. It's a, a different thing now. You don't have to wear a uniform anymore.
2: Everybody can be individual. Absolutely, definitely, cool. Yeah. Well, Graham, thank you so much for sharing the stories and telling us about the the new band. Uh, again, yes. not not simply called Bonnet. It is Graham's Grandma's Bonnet. It-
1: yes, and it's uh, we're starting recording now, and also on iTunes, I have a, an album that was never released uh, from 1975 of all my early stuff that I I recorded myself on. Uh, uh, DJM uh, Records back in 1975 in London, and it's all different kinds of music where I got to play instruments on there. I've never played before, and uh, it's all my own work, and uh, we're probably going to be doing some of that stuff okay. with this new band live on stage. Some of it's very unusual and probably a bit too poppy for some people, but it's still me singing, and if you like my voice, I think you'll like that.
2: Very good. Well, we'll definitely check that out. And we will yep. link your site through today's show notes on Talking Metal. And the site, I believe, is is it grahambonnetmusic.com, right? Yeah, that's the yeah, yeah, yeah. Perfect. And uh, again, thank you so much for joining us. You have a great evening. Okay, but you too. Okay. 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 Bye. What you just heard was my interview with Graham Bonnet. Going into the interview, you heard the song Tonight I Fly off the Stand in Line record from 1988 by Impelitary. Coming out of the interview, we heard some more obscure Graham Bonnet. I believe that's from the 70s. It's off the private record, which is out on iTunes, and it's called Mama Mine. Some hard rock and bluesy rock right there. It sounds great. Big special thanks to Graham Bonnet for joining us on today's podcast. You can support what I do here with a PayPal donation on TalkingMetal.com. Please visit our site, again, TalkingMetal.com. Like us on Facebook. Just go search Talking Metal. We have a couple Facebook pages. Give us a like. Follow me on Twitter. I got two Twitter accounts, Striegel. It's uh, at Striegel, S-T-R-I-G-L, and at Talking Metal. Follow me there. Listen to Mitch Lafon's show, One on One with Mitch Lafon, part of the Talking Metal Digital network family if you will and uh, watch that metal show on vh1 classic it's a show that i work on i'm the coordinating producer on season 14 of that metal show the old coordinating producer is pregnant so they brought me in and i'm honored and thrilled to be there getty lee joins us on the first episode of season 14 on saturday at 9 p.m so definitely check that out Ram Bonnet just rocks my world, and let's keep it going. This is, again, off that classic Rainbow record that he did down to earth. This is called Danger Zone. Guys, once again, thanks for joining me on the Talking Metal podcast. Thanks to Graham for talking with us about his career, and uh, thanks uh, to Graham for putting out all this great music that we've been celebrating on today's episode and listening to on today's episode. So much great stuff! Again, please support Talking Metal with a PayPal donation or use our Amazon links to make your purchase on Amazon. You know, we don't you don't get charged anymore when you use our Amazon links. All you do is go to talkingmetal.com, click on the Amazon links to open your Amazon, and then go ahead and make your purchases. We get a little kickback on that, and uh, I really appreciate you guys using those links because I know you do. I see it. I am I'm, I'm feeling the love, so thank you. To take us out today, a little Michael Shanker group. This is with Graham on vocals. Rock you to the ground.